Do you really know how great or how poorly your school is doing? Being honest with ourselves, it's a really tough proposition. It's much easier to lie than to honestly self-report. I know you want to build a school where students belong and feel seen and heard and are celebrated for what they bring to the table. But intent is often different than impact. Intent can be different than reality. What would you hear if you asked the next student, what is your experience like at this school? What if you asked that question and encouraged them to be brutally honest? What would they say? Well, today's guest did just that, and the answer he heard was shocking. And we'll tell that story in today's conversation. I could also say this was uh, easily one of the more enjoyable conversations that I've had in a long time. And uh, I just really appreciate how Corey showed up on the podcast. You're going to love this. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after these messages from our show sponsors. how to successfully navigate change, shape your school's success, and lead your teams with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Get world-class Harvard faculty research specifically adapted for pre-K through 12 schools, self-paced online professional development that fits your schedule. Apply now for our June 22 cohort at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. Better Leaders, Better Schools is brought to you by school leaders like Principal Gutierrez using TeachFX. Special populations benefit the most from verbally engaging in class, but get far fewer opportunities to do so than their peers, especially in virtual classes. TeachFX measures verbal engagement automatically in virtual or in-person classes to help schools and teachers address these issues of equity during covid Learn more and get a special offer from Better Leaders, Better Schools listeners at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Hey, Ruckus Makers. Today I'm joined by with Corey Kane. Uh, he holds a, a Bachelor's of Science in uh, Biology, an MBA in Marketing from the University of Miami, a Master's right, in Organizational Leadership from Columbia University, a Certificate in School Management and Leadership from Harvard Business School, a Certificate in School Discipline Reform from Loyola's Law School, and just recently finished a law degree at Northwestern University's Pritzker School of Law. Currently, he serves as a Dean of Instruction. Corey, welcome to the show, but congrats on finishing that last degree, too. That's oh, got yeah. a lot of letters after that name. <laughs> that was my, the roughest one because it was during the pandemic, so I felt the, all the pain of going online like everyone did, remote learning. So Yeah. Meanwhile, you're, you're helping lead a school, too, so that's just like, yeah. that, that, that speaks to 
you know, just your capacity and, and all the value that you're creating. And uh, we're honored to have you here. So, hey, I, I want to jump right in and uh, I want to talk about rethinking data because, you know, when we connected and, and you told me you're, you, um, you've been involved in the Noble system, I, I come from Chicago, right? And I worked at Brooks College Prep uh, and mm-hmm. Kenwood and, you know, a variety of schools. Uh, and Noble's known, you know, they kind of have like an MO for like being very data driven. But now you're rethinking mm-hmm. like data and how you, come on, t- <laughs> tell are. us more. Tell us more about that. Well, let's start by rethinking the way we even approach data. Yeah, so okay. if you're saying data driven, yeah. the word data driven, like there's context behind the word driven, right? And sometimes it can be seem like, you know, uh, it can get into the power or control um, kind of structure, right? So yeah. now we use data in, data informed, mm. you know, so we want to be informed by our data. Yeah. But, you know, we want to be clear that, you know, because all of us are not budding, you know, experts in data. So sometimes we look at data, maybe we think it's telling us something and we, and we just use it and we move forward. We basically it drives us right. instead. We want to grab the reins of data, right. And just be informed by it mm-hmm. and let it. And when we get a piece of data, right. It doesn't say we should do something, but maybe we should investigate and find out, <laughs> do some more, get some more data. You know, let's, you know, let's um, increase the amount of data we use, but don't let it control us. Right. Right. Can you, so I, I get that, like the high level sort of concept of that. And I really appreciate the nuance sure. between uh, data driven, data informed. That's a really great mm-hmm. distinction. Can you, can you share an example of, of how, you know, a, a school leader might be data informed? Like what's that data you're looking at? How did it inform your practice, your choices? Sure. Well, choice is a, a key word because a lot of times mm-hmm. I feel like as a leader, sometimes we don't feel like we don't have choices. It's always like, if you think of the top-down method, you know, right, the government right. says, or the state says, right? So there's a lot of interim tests we have to take, standardized tests that we use. And we were, and eventually we were being driven by that, right? Like mm-hmm. that's the golden ticket. If you, you know, do well on this test, right? Then, you know, A, B, and C, right? But like I said, data isn't the issue, it's what we do with it, right? So there's other pieces of data that I think we never really, you know, speak about. And the most important one for me is the social-emotional data, that um, our students and our teachers and staff, right? A lot of the data that we're not looking at, that says a lot about and can inform us, right? How well someone might be doing in another piece of another area of data. Um, I think um, when we talked previously, I talked about the street data, the map data and the satellite data. Oh, right? yeah, and I think gonna... a lot of times, yeah. Yeah, so we'll get into that. A lot of the times we stand, we kind of look at things from a 50,000 foot level. Sure. I'm saying what I'm saying, this new system, this, inf- this data informed system is, is getting closer down to the yeah. street level. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So see what people are going through. See what pe- how people are experiencing, you know, not just testing, but classrooms, hallways, bathrooms, all the things that make up a campus. Definitely. Well, let's let's go there. You brought it up in terms of the triangulation sure. and uh, satellite. Is it city and then street? I, I forgot the middle one, but it's, it's satellite, satellite, map, map. right, and Got it. Uh, street. and. I should I should apologize now because I should know the authors who this is not my this is not I, I didn't create this so I'll give credit to the to its due and I, I'm forgetting the name right now but it's a great book called Street Data actually Street right, Data, right 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 okay. so yeah yeah and um in the book uh, I think it's two authors and I've actually I also watched the pack podcast on them uh, they explained it and I read the book and then I watched their explanation of it and to me it makes so much sense so 
very quickly, think about how we use Google Maps or Waze or Apple Maps. Um, and think about how we get from A to, a to Z, right? right? Or get from beginning to end. And it's basically, it's based on a triangulation of data, right? So the satellite above, right, can see the entire earth, right? It can zoom in onto a particular section of the, of the globe, but it can even get deeper, right, into the street data. And always, the way I explain it mostly is, is if you're only looking at satellite data, I'm not sure you're going to get to where you're going, mm. right? You don't have the intricate details you need that can be provided, you know, from the street level, right? Um, without that, you know, you're, it's, it's, I guess you're not really flying in the, in the dark, but it's like throwing a needle into a haystack, trying sure. to hit one piece of hay. You're not going to do it. You got to get really close, really, really close. Yeah. Right. And as you get closer, you begin to see more details, details you did not know existed. Right. But those small details, right, actually affect the structure of the entire thing. So mm-hmm. if you can get deep and find the, I'll just use the same example, the needle in the haystack that may be causing the issue. And we can, we can deal with that needle in the haystack because that needle is going to affect the rest of the needle that are around it. And, right. and Noble, we have, we're doing, we're, we're, I'm not saying we're perfect, but I think we're doing a really good job of, of teaching ourselves um, and helping to develop teachers and leaders, you know, to, to use that type of data to make some more informed choices when it comes to our staff and students in our community. Cool. I, w- I want to hear how you do that, but real quick, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm looking at street data. Looks like Shane Safir and Jamila Dugan. Does that sound there right? You, yes. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. For oh, that. yeah. I'm here to. I'm yeah. here to help. Hey, and Corwin. Corwin book right published. So yeah, that's my Corwin, publisher yeah. too. So shout out to them. Uh, yeah, really <laughs> nice. appreciate that. So, so what, that's cool that you you're, you're doing it uh, really well and noble. And so, what does that look like to? Go between, you know, satellite, street, and all that app data. Yeah. And let me clarify well. Well, that's not perfection. And I like... Sure, sure. Um, it's something that I tell teachers all the time is that seeing perfection is a huge goal. It can be stressful, right? But I do seek progress, right? And I think we're moving mm-hmm. in an upward, an upward uh, direction. Um, and part of that is because we've gotten into more data. So... There's multiple things you could do, but at, at Noble, we deal with, of course, the interim data. A lot of the standardized tests be that satellite data, right? The map data, I like to describe the map data as getting into the classroom level, okay. right? What's, yeah. what's occurring in the classroom, right? With some of the academic data, GPA of that classroom, right? Now, the average GPA of the whole school would be satellite, but in that classroom, what's happening with just those you know, 20 kids, 25 right. kids, yeah. whatever, what's happening with them, right? But when we get deeper, Right. I want to know what's happening with the individual student. Right. Yep. So um, as an example, for our SES data, our students take well, it's actually SES uh, for us stands for student experience survey. OK. All right. So just like a teacher, teachers will know about what I about this, just like we design units backwards with our, you know, with our, with our, with our design design approaches. We start from the end. Like, what is it that we that our kids say, our parents say, teachers say and staff say would make a great classroom? Mm-hmm. So we create those goals, right? Mm-hmm. We create questions that help us measure those goals, right? And of course, we give that to students. They take it, and then we look at the data and say, well, for example, classroom belonging. There's questions that relate to classroom belonging. Basically, do I feel like I belong in the classroom, yeah. right? If it says 40, 40%, that's difficult. You know, that connects to the math data. Yeah. You, know, you know, if I don't feel like I belong here, I may not participate in class, right? right? So we take students, we have focus groups, we pull them aside and say, well, talk to us more about what that means. And they, you know, this is also part of what makes a great school, I think, co-creation, right? I'm not mm-hmm. deciding as a teacher or a leader of my own what happens in the classroom, but everyone is, students, parents, anyone who is involved, right, is, imp- is giving input. And that's more and more data that can inform us 
you know, if we're moving in the right direction. If not, then we change directions, just like you would on the map, because you're not yeah. going in the direction you want to go. Now you're getting lost. So I appreciate that. Exactly. Thanks for uh, breaking it down for us. Maybe I think uh, this might be an example of street data too, because uh, I remember you sharing a story when you, you asked a student, how are things going? And uh, their their response surprised you, right? Because there was a there was a way that you've well, basically their experience right at school didn't seem so different than their their experiences outside of the school, right? Yes, uh, and that and that maybe was a bit surprising. But tell us tell us more about that story. Oh, well, actually, there's so many stories like that. Um, yeah. The one that comes top of mind for me is that think of so. I, I believe Noble, great school, right? Great schools, all 18 of them, right? Because, and I believe that because of the work we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. It's different to have a mission and have a goal. We really strive. And when it's not working, I see people actually, there's wheels turning, there's meetings that need to be set. We want to move because we don't want that same data next week. We want it to right. improve, right? right? So if the student says, hey, I don't want to be a part of another school's network, right? Because there I might be being bullied, I might not get enough help, whatever. But and then and then we at Noble say, hey, come here because A, B, and C, right? So yeah. when that student comes and says, uh, actually, right, there's no difference. Yeah, it's the same. Right? There's no difference. It's the same. Like, Wait a minute, it's the same. So that was surprising to me, right? Because yeah. I've worked in many systems, even in Chicago, I've worked in many school systems, and I'm like, why is my experience different than yours, right? And yeah. that's a, that's a key part of it, right? Um, that's why that's that whole map versus street data, right? Because once we become, and I'm not, and I, I'll talk about myself. I can be narcissistic sometimes, right? If I come mm-hmm. to school and I feel great, right? Everyone must feel great. Things must yeah. be going well. I'm having a great time. Why not you? So that's why I have those conversations, right? If things are going well, I'm not, I'm not being a pessimist or trying to seek out and destroy, but I want to ensure that we're getting a, the more data we get. So we have about 980 kids, right? I want to talk to all 980. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, even if there's one lost sheet, right? Because I know in in, in my in, on my leadership team, our goal might be 80%, but we know there's 20% that need some assistance. Right. So we really want hundred percent, right? But we set our measures, set our goals. And if a student says things aren't matching the things that they thought they should receive, there's work that needs to get done. Right. And that's that's street data. That's exactly you're exactly correct. That's street data, right? The person who is experienced the things that we put in place for them is saying, hmm, it doesn't match. Yeah. It doesn't match. So is that is that a noble thing? Is that a Corey thing? A co- combination of both? Because the fact that you would have, and I want to say courage, right, to ask students, here, this is the promise that we think we're making to our students. What's your experience like? They say, well, yeah, that's what I thought the experience was supposed to be like. And right now it's not really that different. You know, what what is it about you or the system that you want to ask those questions? Because I Probably not the necessarily the ruckus maker who's listening to the show. Maybe they're new to the podcast, but you know what I mean? For some people, this is going to be an epiphany. Like, let me actually ask students how their experience is. And then I can change, you know, the system based on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me just say that Noble has structures that fit my mission and my goal. Like I think about mission in life. Like I want to work at schools that if I'm being very short, that believe in upward progress, right? Now, but, but not just believe it, right? Because I believe in like, you know, like I remember my, my grandmother once said to me, hey, because uh, she wanted me to change my lifestyle, 
and she taught me how to do it. And Noble to me has done something like this, right? If you have a if you have a, a, a thought, that thought's going to become a belief. That belief might become an action. Right. The action becomes a habit and a lifestyle. I think to me that's what Noble structure is, right? Mm-hmm. So someone has a thought, right? And the thought could be, hey, I want to, I, you know, I want to see if things are working out. Well, what is that? That belief becomes, you know, you know what? I believe in order for me to find out, I must ask those that that are right. So just to, to be short, Noble has created that wet that system. There's advisories for students. Each each student has two advisors. Like they thought this through. And I think the two advisors thing is amazing to me because if I'm not there, someone else is. It's very rare two people, two advisors are out. There's always someone there for that student to speak to. So they put that in place so students know there is someone in this building, Brad, that you can seek out and you need help if you need to. Not only them, teachers have the same thing. Teachers have me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a teacher coach. I, told, I coach 19, but I have a counterpart, right? So all of us have counterparts that kind of balance each other out and kind of help out. Um, so I think Noble has helped me right? Someone who believes in the things you're speaking about has created the system and structures for that to take place, right? And everything, like if, for example, teachers say, you know what? Some of the stuff we're doing is interfering with daycare, right? I can't pick up my kids, right? That's street data, right? So we take that and we take that. So teachers are, we give space for teachers to say that, space for staff to say that, right? And if things are, are, that are occurring are affecting the the way you behave at work and we can do something about it, the point is, if it can be done, it's very low-hanging fruit. We can do that. Because yeah. if we do that, we know that that's going to affect the map and the satellite data. So, of course, we want to get into the intricate details because those mm. things are important. That's great. So we, we covered a lot with street data, but I know you love a book, uh, Coaching with Equity, too. And Elena, Elena, Aguilar, Elena Aguilar. She's been on the show. Yes. She's amazing. So uh-huh. uh, what was your... What was your high level takeaway from that one? Because I know it's really informed your practice and leadership, but why do you love that book so much? Yeah, um, every, every <laughs> the biggest reason is because I sought the book out. Uh-huh. And it was, it was funny, before I even got to Noble, I, I found the book and Noble uses it. And I'm like, oh, we're going to use a, you know, this, this, this uh, Elena Aguilar book. I'm like, wait, I'm reading this book. I'm reading books by her. And they go, oh my God. So when I met Noble, we were already on the same page. That's awesome. I had a personal, I had a personal mission because... I was a part of a, a school system that I think was pretty toxic and that toxicity mm-hmm. leaked into leaked into me. Mm-hmm. Right. So as an educator, as a lifelong learner, I'm self-reflective. All right. I can't go into a new space with those same things. Right. And when I did my own kind of self-assessment, I don't think I showed enough empathy when I coached. Right. I was so into the logical side of things. Right. But I forgot in psychology, they, it, there's this, I forgot what they call it, but in psychology, there's this like triangulation of, of like the, like there's the mind, there's the thoughts and your feelings, okay. right? I didn't care much about people's feelings, right? but if you do that and pull out the way, you break apart the structure. So her book for me really, 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 really taught me to delve into that empathetic side, right? Because that's where, that's where power lies, right? That's where the mindset hangs out, right? That's where, you know, all of the drivers that affect the teacher's actions and behaviors, it, start, it, it starts there. How someone feels, like, I think we talked about this, right? If I feel a certain way coming to work or even entering this podcast, uh, you know, shifting something can make some things work. So she is very adamant, in my opinion, about changing behavior through mindset and thinking and, you know, um, coach and how, as a coach, I've learned how to ask the right question. Right. So that I'm not driving someone to do something right, yeah. but getting more information. Even the person I'm asking questions to the teacher, the questions I ask informs them as well. Like if I don't have any time, 
right? Instead of me being very straightforward and say, well, you need to find the time. That's how it used to be, right? Elena taught me to say, well, let's, 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 let's talk about, you know, the time, right, that you say you have not enough. Let's just go through it and like walk me through your day, mm-hmm. right? And as you walk through the day, her book is very clear. Walk through the day. I was able through her guidance kind of see where there are some pain, pain spots for this teacher, right? Now, of course, I could have just pointed them out. But Elena, to me, she has a different approach, right? Same, same thing. Teacher, look at this. There are some things here that are really causing some of the str- your stress and some of the imbalance you have when it comes to, you know, um, ensuring you have enough time. And teacher goes, yeah, that, like this right here. I didn't do that. They did, right? So they're really driving the conversation, right? And I said, cool, let's talk about that, right? And her book helps me to drive them away from problem-centeredness and more into solution-oriented thinking. Yeah. And so far, to me, it's, it's working. I mean, I have teachers telling me for the first time ever, I'm excited. Wow, I really enjoy you as my coach. You're so thoughtful. And I'm like, wait, me? I'm the thought. I've never yeah. heard that before. I'm the logical one. I'm the one who's, you know, who's going to do the rational thinker, right? Um, and now people are telling me, man, I really appreciate your help helping me figure out how to, you know, ensure that I can make it to daycare. Wow. And I'm, in my head, I'm going, actually, you figured it out. <laughs> yeah. Right? But yeah. I just, I just asked, I just helped to clear some cobwebs out of the way so you could do some proper thinking. All that's from her book. All that's yeah. from her book. Yeah. Well, I think you cracked the door open, you know, and made a made an invitation that was too good to refuse. And uh, what I love about that approach, too, is uh, people, like you said, the solution, but they're taking ownership, right? In terms of identifying, like, this is really what's bugging me. This is what I want to work on. And here's, you know, potentially some things that will help solve that. And uh, and because you ask those good questions, you know, they they transfer those positive emotions to you, too. And now you have a very strong relationship. So well done. Well done. That's really pretty cool. I think right before the break, my last question would be, so Nobles decided to become anti-racist, right? And people Mm -hmm. might define that all sorts of different ways. And just so for you and the system, what does that mean? Cool. And I I love that you introduced it that way because I want to stay out of the subjective, right? We all can define it different ways. But what we do know, right? I'm going to go right back into what we've been talking about, the data, right? If there are certain groups in our population who are receiving the brunt of things and there's some inequities there, right? It, well, first of all, what's we know it's not on? equitable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like what's going on? Something is going on, right? Yeah. So I think, I think this is from, you know, Corey's point of view, Noble really wants equity, right? And I mean, and, and not just in races, like everywhere, right? Like we're so, I, I love this school. They're so particular about, well, if this one class is getting a certain academic benefit, from what this teacher is doing. We want all students to get that, right? Like we don't want English, like an English student in English one from one period, another teacher talking to the teacher saying, hey, we're working on these skills and standards that are so amazing. That's helping my SAT score go up. Oh wait, we're not doing that. And part, and part of that's my job as teacher coach. I'm in all these classrooms, right? Comparing data consistently, looking and find, trying to find, and I'm really, it reminds me of my science background, right? I'm looking for things that are wrong. And that's what scientists do, right? Because we find that thing that is wrong Right. We can do something with it. Right. And try to make it right. OK. And once we do that and that only can happen with, with, with data, forget about what Corey thinks, what Corey believes. Right. I can believe anything. There is nothing going on here. But what's the data telling me, though? Right. Is the data informing me that some kids are not receiving some things that other kids are getting or are some kids getting more of, for example, punishment. Right. For the same behaviors that other kids are doing. And I, and I saw it in the data and, and Noble saw it in the data and said, you know, let's be bold, let's be courageous and let's say we're not doing this anymore. And that's why I joined Noble because they're not doing it anymore. That's great. And it's not, it's not easy, by the way. It's really hard. It's really yeah. hard. 
let's let's talk about that after the break. I think that would be really interesting to hear, you know, what's hard about that. So uh, we're going to pause here just for a quick moment and a message from our sponsors. Learn how to successfully navigate change, shape your school's success, and empower your teams with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Get online professional development that fits your schedule. Now enrolling for our June 2022 cohort. Courses include Leading Change, Leading School Strategy and Innovation, Leading People, and Leading Learning. Apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. That's betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. Are you automatically tracking online student participation data during COVID? Innovative school leaders across the country have started tracking online student participation using TeachFX because it's one of the most powerful ways to improve student outcomes during COVID, especially for English learners and students of color. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right. And we're back with uh, Corey Kane. We were just talking about uh, how Nobles decided to become an anti-racist system. And I'm sure you've been listening, but Corey said it is hard. Tell me, tell me about that. What makes it so difficult? Well, before we even get into speaking about just being anti-racist system, I think if you've been doing A for a while, mm-hmm. and Nobles has been doing A for what, over 12 years, right? And then you make a, cha- a change. Change management is hard. Change management is hard, even if it's something that's harmful, right? Like, I think the best example I can think of is that, like, I used to eat a lot of bad food. Yeah, I was going to say Doritos, right, or whatever. Yeah, oh my God, yeah. (laughs) And if you look at the data, my weight was going up, my A, um, my AC1, the inflammation markers are going up, all these things are going up, blood pressure. But but this, this food is so good, right? It's so great, right? And then my doctor says, you need to change. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You, well, I can't have Chick-fil-A. I can't have McDonald's. I can't have all these burgers and fries, right? My life was clear. No, no. I, and that bothered me because I'm like, not even in moderation. These things are triggering your body to do things. So, okay, that's the point. I could not, and I could, in my head, I'm going, if I do these things on the other side, things would be great. But it's that process of change, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do it again. So you might have to do some work. Because there's a book about a writer and an elephant. I can't think of the book, but he describes this change management. If you if you type it, if you if you were to if, if, if you know if you do your little uh, search there by writer, I might not need it. It's by the Heath brothers and um, ah, switch yeah. switch right switch switch. Right? Don't need I do it. I got that one. Yeah, yeah. thank too. you. I do so much reading. I can't remember all the things I read. I know, but in that book, yeah, I read it. I read it. I read it a, a moment ago. even before I got to know about read it. But then I thought about it here. It's like change is hard, right? All our teachers saying, yeah, we know anti-racism is bad, right? And that's, that's the writer, right? But all that elephant, that big thing that we have to move is our, is our beliefs, our actions, and our behavior. Right? And that's the difficult part because teachers were so used to what we were doing. And guess what? It was convenient. 
I had a, I had a teacher tell, tell me it was effective. I said it wasn't effective, right? We can't call something that was harming kids effective, but it was convenient for you because you didn't have to deal with it, right? Um, teachers were just very used to just a kids having an issue, go to the culture team. <laughs> so I'm afraid yeah, yeah, you deal with that, yeah, yeah. right? And that's surprising to me because, and maybe to some of your listeners, and maybe a lot of them, because we know as teachers we have to kind of create that classroom where there's procedures and there's you know consequences for misbehavior things like that right no teachers didn't have to do that the system was already there for them they just had to put something in and then be done easy we saw that as being wrong right um because part of it we noticed and i think it's a great thing that system didn't allow for relationships to happen so everything was very robotic kids are moving around robotically right it just was because they were and it was out of fear I don't want to do this wrong thing because I might get a demerit. So yeah. therefore I'm going to, you know, and that's, that's in my opinion, definition of oppression, right? That yeah. like, these things are oppressing students. They can't be themselves. They can't be free. They can't, I mean, they're getting, I mean, you're getting a, a demerit for chewing gum or speaking in Spanish, right? Go and whoa, wait, like, wait a minute. Right. right? Yeah, so yeah. we're really asking kids to conform or assimilate to some dominant culture, right? When I start saying those things and when I learn those things from Noble and I, that that's taking place, Everyone looks at that as the qualitative data and says, wait a minute, that sounds a little racist, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. I mean, when you look into the definition of racism, like someone's being oppressed here for the benefit of, some, of someone else, right? And that doesn't make sense, right? And everyone agrees to that. But it's hard because, uh-oh, you have to do something different. Mm-hmm. You mean my 12 years of mastering this thing is going away? It, it is. Mm-hmm. It is. I have to learn something new? Yes. It's like me going to the gym. <laughs> don't want to go but there's a benefit for it right and once i start doing it wait a minute my breathing has gotten better i I, wait i I feel better right but i got to put in that work and that work is not easy so it's hard but i'm happy that that i and everyone at noble is willing to do the work i think one of those things too underneath the uh wait i have to change you know and i'm gonna have to do something different i think one of the other things underneath that is but what if i fail you know, yep. what if I can't learn this new skill and uh, then what happens? And so that's 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 always interesting when I'm thinking about change. So we've been talking anti-racism. Uh, you mentioned dominant culture. And, uh, you know, I know within that work, too, often people will talk about decentering whiteness as well. And so mm-hmm. if I'm a principal and I want to take my first steps in terms of decentering whiteness, what, what advice would you have for me? Well, the first step is to, I'm a, I'm a, I like to journal and write. So when I have a question I'm asking myself, the first thing is to reflect. So if I'm, you know, and I'm going to use me, I'm not a white, right? But I do want to use this. I'm an able-bodied person. Right. And I remember in law school, I had to write a paper about this because we all had to choose something that we're, that we, you know, because a lot of times when you say privilege, a lot of people think, oh, you're talking about a white person. No, 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 no. I am a black person that's privileged. I'm a man, yeah. privileged. I'm able-bodied, privileged, right? Um, in this country, I speak the language very well, privileged, right? There's privileges yeah. I have. And I love my professor in law school because I had to write about my privilege. And I'd never been asked to do that before, and I did it. And it wow. really helped me to reflect on how I centered myself when it, came, when, it, when it comes to the ability to move and to open doors. And, you know, all these things, you know, when I, when I move around in, in Chicago, where I am, right? I don't even think about disabilities. Mm-hmm. I don't. It doesn't right. affect me. Right. Right. To decenter myself, you know what I did? I began to walk up ramps. I began to 
walk into a building and say and say to myself, if I was disabled, how would I get upstairs? Right. Oh, the elevators way in the back. The time it took me to get to the back, when I'm watching all the people quickly get to things right, that helped me to decenter myself. Right. I have to really reflect upon the things that happened because of who I am with our all the things, all the markers of my identity, right? How are those things benefiting me, right? As well as how those things, you know, providing some disadvantage. All those things help, you know, to decenter myself. Um, so any identities that I think are part of the dominant culture and um there's, I, I, in, in my notebooks, I have a list. I drew a line down the, the middle and thought about all the things that privileged people have and who they are. Think about the, the, the things. And, you know, in school, we call those agents, right? Those are the agents, right? If, like, I'm, a, I'm an agent if, I, if I'm able by, right? Mm-hmm. Because everything I do, right, is going to benefit me unless mm-hmm. I descend to myself and think about someone who is not like, right? Yeah. right? Because they're going to receive the thing I do. So I would say the first step is to reflect, sit down and reflect on, even if it means, you know, centering yourself, what's mm-hmm. great about myself? What do I love of myself? Do that first, right? And then begin to place yourself up. And this is also from Elena Aguilar's book. Right? I had to think of myself. I, used, I was a teacher, what, seven years ago? I've been a leader since then. Her book, hey, go back to when you were teaching. I'm decentering myself. I'm, I'm not a leader anymore. I'm putting myself in the position of someone else, right, who has to walk through the shoes that I'm asking to walk through, all right? Also, I actually taught a class to keep myself centered, right? Away from, or I should say, decentered from from the leadership position. Because as a leader, if I say, "Hey, teachers must do this," well, guess what I do? I teach too. So whatever came down as a kind of edict <laughs> from the principal, I had to do it too because I'm a teacher. Yeah. And if I said I would, I don't want to do that. You see what I'm saying? So why would right. I, as a leader, put it upon another person to do that? So yeah, yeah that's the yeah. first step to me. Just re- just reflect and don't be don't worry about being wrong and worry about making errors. Mm-hmm. Just write, just write, put it all on paper. Only you're looking at it right now. It's okay. I would say start there. What a, what a exercise, right? A self-awareness. And, you know, I think what we're talking a lot too, when, and I'm connecting some dots, but whether it's uh, the student experience, right? Or now we're talking about this decentering whiteness. It, it's really, a, it's an exercise of empathy, right? Because if you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about your privilege, you know, and I could talk about white, male, cisgender, you know, Finally bought my first house, right? Isn't that cool? Like, (laughs) I've been moving all over to four states, four different uh, countries, renting, small places. Now I have a house. But you know, the reality is that that land, right, belongs to the Onondaga tribe or nation. Yeah. And the Haudenosaunee, right? And I might be mispronouncing that, probably very much messed it up. (laughs) But, But I'm aware, you know, that folks came over and colonized and took that away, you know? And so all that kind of stuff, faith could be a way to have privilege and power and stuff. And so thank you um, for, for really uh, introducing all that. And I love the idea of journaling too, because I think that's the hard part too. If we get back to change and the fear, and am I going to be able to do it right? And all of that, especially when we're talking about this privilege stuff and when it's a part of your character, like I can't, change my whiteness or that I'm a male, you know, and identify as male. Right. So then what do I do with that? Right. It's like, whoa. But if I'm journaling, it's not in public. It's like, that's a really safe. I think that's the key is that's a really safe first step. So thank you all for sharing that. And if I could say this too, cause you just remind me of something. I, cause most of the, most of the staff I work with would be white. I'm just being honest. Like I am very few, I'm, I'm the only black male on leadership in my school. And 
and only male on leadership. So I work with women, right? I would say this because even as a black male, like remember, so remember we talked about my privilege. So I'm a male amongst a bunch of women, but I decenter myself, right? But I want to say this to anyone who finds fear in this or even maybe anger, right? When it comes yeah, to like, because sure. decentering whiteness sometimes comes, is used as a weapon, right? And I want to clarify what decentering means. It does not mean you are no longer important. That's not what that means, right? So this is why I love circles so much. And, and maybe we'll talk about circles soon. But yeah. a circle is so great because um, thinking about, you just talked about some about tribes. In their tribal condi- uh, a tradition, they sit in a circle and everyone's equal distance from the center. So no one's important, but we all are, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the centering whiteness is just saying, hey, be a part of the group, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. We're all in this two together. So decentering just means we welcome you into our group as human beings, right? Because yeah. unfortunately, America's history is that some people were not seen as human beings, right? And that was led by a certain group, right? Doesn't mean you are culpable for it whatsoever. It just means the system has been set up to center you. It takes mm-hmm. awareness. It takes action to decenter yourself to become. And to me, that's greater than being the center. You're part of now. You're part of this huge family. You know, we're yeah. all just human beings. You know what I'm saying? And so I going to put that out there. So people are thinking, oh, that doesn't mean you hate white people. No, no. It means that we want to be put together and do things as a group and not be put, pushed to the side. But everyone has a voice and not just the people in power. Uh, well, speaking of power, that, that was just a powerful reframe. You know, I've never heard that before in terms of the invitation. Right. And so I, I really appreciate that as well. So, um, yeah, let's talk. Let's talk with circles. And then I'll get to the last few questions I ask all my guests. But yeah, there was a, and I know you've seen a lot of circles, but you were telling me one story where you walked into a classroom and, and there was already a circle happening, right? And the students are there, the teachers there. And uh, you found that really interesting. What, what did you find out? Well, the interesting piece immediately is this does not look like a normal classroom. Mm. That, actually, that actually excites me. Yeah. You know, you know, probably better than I, that, that much better than I do, that our schools kind of look like they did <laughs> so many years ago, right? So for me, it is exciting to see different things, right? I remember when I first became a leader, well, one of my things was is that it's okay to have a classroom that's louder than most, right? Yeah. But what it, like, to me, that's, that's a piece of data. Well, let's just see what they're, let's investigate, not make these jump, this jump off the ladder of inference that things are just bad, right? Let's go find out. So I walk into this room and they're in this circle. And I'm thinking, and I, you know, I've studied, I, I've, I've studied restorative justice. I've seen circles and I'm like, but at the, the time I saw this, who taught this person how to do circles, right? So, I'm in, so of course, I'm interested, not judgmentally, but just I want to go and see what's going curious, on. Curious, curious. And curious. And I'll tell you this. What amazed me is that regardless of, of my thoughts of if this person is trained, regardless of if I think this person had, you know, uh, is do, you know, may not know how to do it correctly or right, what I saw was participation from everybody in that room. And this is since we just talked about decentering, the teacher decentered themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And invited everyone in that room to understand that your thoughts are valuable, right? And even if you say, I don't have anything to say right now, the teacher would say, and we value that. Thank you so much, right? But we'll come back to you if you have anything else. That's empowering to me. That's empowering, right? You know, I've even seen, I, heard, I heard a student say afterwards, right? Even though I didn't speak, right? I really wanted to. <laughs> like that, that to me was powerful. I really wanted to. That's the beginning to change behavior. It might take some time, just like any process of change would take time. And it doesn't have to look perfect right now. You didn't have to participate, right? But the fact you sat in the circle, it's the beginning. So thank you, congratulate you. And can't wait to see you tomorrow. And that teacher created the atmosphere for those students. And to be clear, this wasn't 
a dean of a dean of students, dean of culture, someone in their discipline. This was a math classroom. So can you imagine it happening in math? We're not facing the board, listening to some sage on stage talk about some equation, right? We're having discussions about why is math so hard? What can a teacher like? This is all all students talking. Teachers sitting there listening in the circle with them, not in the center, not in the front, but in there with them, and even offering you know information about when they thought math was hard and how it got better for them. And that's all. So they join the circle. They're all part of we're all part of the same the same thing here. And I love that. Well, just to reflect back to you, some things I'm hearing and uh, themes too. I mean, there's the co-creation again, right? There, uh, you already talked about decentering, uh, and maybe you know what 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 even is participation? Because you can only see right it, or hear, you know what I'm saying. But stuff is going on inside the minds, and people are thinking. The students are are thinking. Who are we to say that they're not participating or learning, and that kind of thing? So, oh wow, there's so much good stuff. It's good stuff there. And, and uh, it's just, yeah, beautiful to hear that that circle thing is, is happening. I do actually have one more question, but for the last two, I'm just enjoying this conversation so much. So I have to ask. Sure, sure. What is it about you? Because you said uh, that you weren't going to judge it. And I think that's what gets a lot of leaders in trouble, right? Like that they put evaluation, they judge stuff. And maybe that's part of the role, right? As, as an evaluator, supervisor. So how do you suspend that? And get curious, you know what I mean? Because if if you don't, I think you're just so blocked off from like the 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 real the reality. Oh, in street data is what they were collecting. That's what I wanted to say. They were collecting street data yeah. in that circle. Okay, so what worked for me? Because you remember in the beginning I talked about I have always been been labeled as the logical one. Go to him right? if you know after you've cried and done all of that. <laughs> go to him for solutions, right? That taught me to be judgmental. I'm just gonna be that just always taught me to like have to give an answer, have to do this. It took some reflection. I'm very big on journaling reflection, right? If one person says you're judgmental, <laughs> they're just crazy, right? Um, two people say it, it's a conspiracy. They just work together, they're just coming, they're just trying to hurt me. But my my rule is when three people and four and five, I need to do some reflection. <laughs> I need yeah. to go do some some you no know, introspection and kind of figure out what is happening here. So I did. And that involves, I'm a life learner. I wanted to, I always try to move away from confirmation bias. So I look for things opposite of what I believe. And I found the, and I think I mentioned already the ladder of inference. And I've studied that thing. I don't want to do that, right? It's like, you know, let's just assume I got on, I called you and you didn't answer it at the, the time we said, do I say, oh, he doesn't care about this conversation. See, that's right. me jumping that ladder, right? Big time. Instead of me, <laughs> instead of, yeah. Instead of me first collecting some data, right? I can see you text it, you know, hey, hey, Danny, I'm, you know, um, I know we had this meeting, you know, uh, I'm here, you're not, you know, I just want to, you know, I'm just curious what's going on. That's that next step. I didn't jump. I need some more data here. Like, what's really happening? Now, if you don't respond, I could jump again. I say, you know, hey, I'm texting you again. Respond when you can. And I pause my judgment. I don't move forward, right? Um, I did it in the classroom. I like, like, wait a minute, like, so. I really don't think we should be engaging in things that we're not really trained in because it can go bad. So I'll be honest, that was in my head. Yeah. Okay. It was in my head. Yeah. But I had to, I had to suspend this teacher's doing it wrong or this teacher, you know, and it, it, what really, what really stopped me too is just kids here, right? I'm not going to jump. I'm not going to say, hey, stop doing this. Da, da, da. That, that's always not going to happen. Right. But I'm really, I mean, if, you, if anyone, to, if you ask anyone about me, they're going to mention the word data. I just love it so much. And, right. And then since I love it so much, right, 
and I'm going to preach this thing about getting all this data first before you make some rash judgment. I got to work on, I have to do it myself. So for anyone who just jumps to judgment, it really takes, I, I think the easiest thing is to stop, pause, stop before you make this conclusion, ensure you have all the information readily available to you before you make any judgment and always include the people. Don't just like use your own eyes for observation, use their voice. It's important that they, that they have a voice in this, that you, they state their observations, they state their reasons and rationale, because that could really change the way you're thinking. You're like, oh, you actually did circles in your old school and you're pretty great. You, I want you to actually be, you know, be a teacher leader and lead other teachers. Have this. Like that can happen, right? You don't want to make some judgment and now destroy the relationship between you and the teacher who could have been a resource because people are the best resource at a, at a school. Over any money and anything, people are the best resource. Corey, if you could put a message on all school marquees around the globe for just a day, what would your message read? Oh, it's so basic, but I love it. Same message we get on the airplane. Put your mask on first. <laughs> and in right. these times, yeah. put your mask on first. Right. But I, I, I used to say it before the pandemic, right? You can't, I, before, when I get to school, I stop, right? And make sure my mask is on. What does that mean? Uh, I had a bad breakfast. So I'm going to stay out here for a second, take a couple of breaths and go, I'm about to enter a room. Like, well, my phrase is my phrase. Everyone creates your own mantra and phrase. I'm about to enter a space involving other people's kids, right? Who I decided to make my kids and I don't want to hurt my kids. So what am I going to do right now before I walk in this building to ensure that my mentality, my state of mind, my actions, my thoughts, everything that happens doesn't negatively affect a student whose fault who, who, who didn't have anything to do with my bad breakfast. <laughs> you know, that's me putting my mask on first, right? Because these kids are going to have issues. These teachers are going to have issues. People are going to have issues, right? But am I ready? If I'm not ready, I probably shouldn't enter the building today. I should take a day off mm-hmm. and get myself together. So take care of yourself first. Put your mask on before you do anything at school. You can only control yourself. And, you know, my, my mantra or personal philosophy is, very, I think, very similar. It's a be an intentional catalyst. Because I know that the space I'm about to enter is going to change. And so am I going to accelerate a change for good or for bad? And it's my choice, right? And it's, did I eat my breakfast? Did I get my sleep? Yeah. And uh, so I'm on the same page with, with you there. Yeah. Now, Corey, you're building, you're building your dream school from the ground up, right? You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. So when you're building this school, what would be your three guiding principles? I, when I, my answer, <laughs> so easy, but I just want to be clear. I thought about this for a while. Um, Cause even when I was at Columbia, we are, well, my, our thesis to graduate was to build your own school. Yeah. Right. So okay. I've always thought about this and always this, but that was 2014. And my, even my idea back then has changed. The number one thing, the number, number one thing is co-creation. I'm, it has to be co-created. Right. And when I, and it, it's teachers, it's the community in which you, in which the school is based. Okay, it's the the principals, it, it, the cafeteria workers, janitors, like everybody has to be involved in this school. The worst thing that I think I remember from uh, when I was in college is that I was in a room where I was sitting in a seat and it was blocking the board. To me, that was because it wasn't this building wasn't built, you know, uh, with teachers in mind or involved teachers in the building. Engineers built this. Right. So I feel the same way about classrooms. If a teacher is the only person building a classroom or a principal is the only one building a school, to me, it's bound to fail. It's bound to fail. The best high school or best school is going to be in general where uh, everyone came together right, and had a voice in how that school is going to be created. 
So I don't want to create a school by myself. I want anyone who's going to be involved to be a part of the process. That to me is number one. That has to happen. Now, two and three is difficult because one is the most important. I, I don't want to yeah. throw a two and three in there. Just you know. But if I had, if I would give my voice the two things, right, is that it would be a school where we are non-traditional. I want to move away from, you know, I want kids. It's almost I almost want to create that atmosphere I had in college. Where what do I want to do? I want to major in microbiology, so I'm going to follow this path and think of all the things I need. I think right now we just put kids into these places, right? Where they're just like, I don't want to be a math. I don't want to be, I don't want to do anything in math. I think that's okay. I do. I know many professionals who are doing very well and they don't do well with algebra, right? But they chose the other route. They're very artsy. They did all these great things and they became, you know, architects that still involved math, but that was, they had to do that first, get that passionate love then before they got into the math side. And they had, and, you know, and they, it was their choice. So they had to go to college and learn, learn math that way. But I really want, you know, it's to have a non-traditional space where we can do arts, all kind of different things besides just that basic kind of core subjects we always say. Because music and arts, are, well, I mean, at Nova we have them, but most schools don't have those things, right? And I think kids suffer that way. So non-traditional things. And thirdly, the best food available. I mean, I think it's, it's the fuel, fuel, fuel for the body, right? And I don't think we feed, our, we feed our kids properly. And I think that's why a lot of times their mind is not in the right place. And yeah, so food is my way of saying meeting the basic needs on the lower rung of the Maslow's hierarchy. A lot of our kids come to school and they haven't been met, but we want them to be up here. So I want the school to be the center for everything. I'm, I'm done, you know, playing this game of teachers blaming parents and this and that. Like, I, you said something I love. What can I can control? I can't control where you were born or who you're born with. But it, like, it, if my school needs to build a, a washing and dryer for you to have clean clothes, then that's what we're going to do. And sir, so take care of your needs. And that's it. I talk a lot, so I know I'm going to stop there. That's it. It's all good. Corey, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. We covered a lot of ground on this conversation. What's the one thing you want a ruckus maker listening to remember? I want them to remember that you're important. Like wherever you are in the space you're, you're at, you're not, you're not with me at Noble, right? But if you name your school, name your position, right? And just name yourself, just your name. Like me, I would say I'm at Noble, I'm a dean of instruction, and I'm Corey, right? Those three things are not only just important, but are needed, right? Wherever you go, all right? So if I'm, whenever I go to Noble, I know Corey's walking in, he has a job to do, and the things I do are super important. So just remember, you are super important. I don't care what anyone's telling you, you're super important, definitely. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed. Mm-hmm.